0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. This is going to be an unusual message, and uh, you hang on, we're going somewhere with it. And this is not an evangelistic message at all. In fact, I have never, and you will see, we get to the closing part of this message, point number four, I've never in my life, Preached a message like this. Been preaching for fifty years, and in fact, I don't even know how God is going to use this. I, I don't know, but I I'm going to share with you what I feel that God has shared with me, and I pray that it will be a blessing. Most unusual, you know. There's an old old story in the Old Testament. There are many that talks about the faith of the saints of old. And we we could give you many illustrations, but the one that comes to me at the forefront of all of those incredible life-changing faith stories is the one about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Now, those boys had faith. In fact, they had so much faith, they said, listen, if God, if God wants to save us, so be it. But if he chooses not to, we will still honor him. Now, when the king threw them in the fire, those boys had faith. But there's no doubt in my mind because they were human beings, their knees were knocking. I feel somewhat like that right now because I don't know what God's going to do here at the end. I don't, but I have faith. So you hang on, we're going somewhere. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 13, because this is the message before the mission conference or the Mission Emphasis Month. But I'd like for you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, please, to the book of Acts chapter 13. And uh, this morning I want to speak on the call, the conviction, the compassion, and the cost of missions. In Acts chapter 13, I want you to notice with me, and I'm going to read for you verse number 1 through 4. They'll get these scriptures on the screen for you. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius of Serene, and Maen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they fasted to the Lord and fasted, or ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work went I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto sicily And from thence they sailed to Cyprus. This, this here is an incredible moment when the Holy Ghost called Paul and Barnabas to be the very first missionaries to answer the call. If you remember, the Great Commission had already been given The stage was set, the time was right, and now God was ready to take the gospel into the regions of the world. And perhaps the most quoted scripture in the realms that we're familiar with in the subject of missions is in Matthew chapter 28 and in verse number 18 and 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. And so, this was the last set of instructions that Jesus gave right before He ascended back to the Father. And keep in mind, this was forty days after His resurrection. And we are reminded of this text again in Acts chapter 1 in verse number 8 when the scripture says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, in this command, Jesus said that we were to be witnesses first in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. When it comes to missions, especially those who surrender to be missionaries, and this is a fundamental principle that I have taught missionaries personally all through my life, all through my ministry, I have taught them this, this one truth, and that is this. I do not believe that any missionary will be successful in leading people to Christ over an ocean until they first are able and willing to lead people to Christ in their home city. That's fundamental. That's paramount. The first seven chapters of the book of Acts primarily deal with the mission emphasis in Jerusalem. But in chapter 8 through 12, we found the work of missions expanding into Judea and into Samaria. And then as we come to chapter 13, we see the gospel being taken into the regions of all of the world. And this is where the beginning of foreign missions actually was launched. Because for a long time... The Great Commission, the work, had been confined to Jerusalem. But now the gospel, Jesus said, I want you to take it around the world, and it has gone from the borders of of uncountable thousands of homes and families and various places of what we would consider to be places of being comfortable and places of being familiar In Acts chapter 13, I want you to stay with me now, the work of missions had reached a place, a little town called Antioch. In fact, by the way, the scripture says that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. In Acts chapter 14, the work of missions reached Antioch and it might interest you to know the footsteps of how the gospel actually has reached where you are today. Because Bibles were not growing off of Bible trees back in the early days. People had to take the gospel. They had to preach the gospel. They had to teach the gospel. And according to the scriptures that we've just read, it was first preached in Jerusalem. But listen to this. If you're wondering, how is it, how did it come to be that you're in church today? That you have a Bible in your hand. You're reading these scriptures on the wall. That you're singing these beautiful songs led by this wonderful praise team. And you're, you're singing these songs. How did it all come about? How is it today that you are in church? You're lifting your hands. You're worshiping the living God. How, how did that all come to be? According to the word of God, it was first launched and preached in Jerusalem. Then it was taken to Judea and Samaria. Then it went into Antioch, to Ephesus, Constantinople. Then it went to Rome. And by the way, the the Apostle Paul was the primary missionary with all of these places in mind. And I did some research on the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. And it brought an appreciation uh, beyond just a surface interest in me. Because as you know, the Apostle Paul, he conducted three primary missionary campaigns. And on the first missionary campaign, it was estimated that he traveled some 1,400 miles. On his second missionary journey, he traveled 2,800 miles. And then on his third missionary journey, it's estimated that he traveled some 2,700 miles. And so when you add all of this up for his 35 years of missionary ministry in the Word of God... It is estimated that he traveled some 13,000 miles preaching the gospel in the early days. Now, somebody might think that's not a very big deal, but you have to remember this. All of those miles were traveled without modern transportation. After the apostle Paul was beheaded in Rome, listen now, the gospel went into Germany Then it went into England, and from England it came to the United States. So you think about from the early days of the church in Jerusalem to where we are now. Many years, America has been on the center stage of evangelistic and soul winning activity. And millions upon millions of missionaries have been sent out by the thousands from the shores of this homeland where they were first launched way back in Jerusalem. Yet as the gospel was taken from one place to another, it was almost as though somebody had a great hunger to do that. In fact, they had to have a calling from heaven. I wonder if God will take the excitement of soul winning. And I'm talking about a passion to lead somebody to Christ. And my question is this. In the introduction to this message today, can you identify with what it's like to win somebody to Christ? I'm talking about to lead somebody to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's one thing to talk about him. It's one thing to sing about him. It's one thing to lift our hands up and to worship him. But I'm asking you the question, do you know what it's like to take the word of God? Whether or not you open the literal Bible or you quote from scripture memory that you have learned uh, through the years... You've brought somebody to a place of quietness and you have talked to them about their eternal soul. You've ministered to them. You have worked in evangelism. Some kind of way, you communed. you sung the gospel, you preached the gospel, you taught the gospel. Some kind of way. Have you ever felt the joy of winning somebody, leading somebody to Christ? I'm talking about when they, in your presence, prayed the sinner's prayer. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Think about this. So I want us to go back to Acts 13, verse 2, just for a moment. Acts 13, verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work unto I've called them. And I want us to look closely at four important components real quickly of missions. The first thing this morning, I want you to notice the calling. And we have to be perfectly clear that it is God who calls people into the gospel ministry you'd be surprised of the number of people that have entered the ministry in times like this for all kinds of reasons other than have call of God upon their life. Somebody said to me a long time ago that being a preacher was one of the most easiest professions. They use that word on the face of the earth. I've been asking you to pray for me lately. I've been having incredible, and that's not the right word, but I've been having astronomical headaches. And... Uh, I've been dealing with it now for a little bit. And, uh, but believe me, being a preacher or pastor is not one of the most easiest professions on the earth. They, they said that all preachers have to do is get up there and talk for 30 minutes. <laughs> I invite anybody to come do it right now. <laughs> believe me, that's not the way that it works. But I but I believe that there are people walking on the earth today that still have that mentality. I don't have time or words to remotely give you a thimble of an idea of what the ministry actually involves. In fact, what I'm doing right now is if you can picture an ice cream sundae and you picture that little cherry on top. What I'm doing right now is the little cherry on top. It's the most easiest thing, the most beloved thing that I do. Taking people in my office and counseling them through rivers of tears. Helping a family on the verge of calling it quits. Talking to somebody in a rehabilitation center. Praying somebody off of a cliff. I remember a few years back, it's been several now. About nine o'clock at night, a young man called me. He said, Is this Pastor Tony? I said, Yes, it is. He said, You don't know me, but somebody who knows you told me to call you. He said, I'm 16 years old, and right now I have a 38 revolver cocked on my temple. Can you help me? Walking with somebody through the through the channels of depression. All kinds of circumstances, I will tell you. Sometimes I think we lose We lose the word. The, the, the Bible says this. Thank God for the shepherd that you have. I thank God for the shepherd that I have. It's not a nine to five, I tell you that. My advice to people who want to get into the ministry is very short. In fact, I gave my own son this advice years ago, Brian, when... He announced his call to preach. I did everything in the world I could possibly think of to try to talk him out of it. And I said this to him, Brian, do not answer the call. Do not say yes until you are absolutely sure that it's not a dream, that it's not something you saw on the television, that it's not a song that you heard on the radio. But don't answer the call. Don't say yes to this. Unless you know. I said, and you know God. The scripture says, my sheep know me. They hear my voice and they follow me. I said, you know the voice of God. But unless it's the voice of God, don't do it. You've got to know that you're standing in a burning bush and God has called you to do this because getting into the ministry for any other reason is most destructive. It's the most destructive thing that anybody could do. But if God's called you, There is no safer place to be in all of the world. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 24, Paul said, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. You see, when God calls you, you're no longer limited to human abilities and skills and talents and and those kind of thing. When somebody answers the call, a divine call, they're working for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you give up all personal agendas. You have no other personal agendas when you answer this kind of call. And the word says, faithful is he. If he called you, he'll work it out. Paul and Barnabas did not put themselves in the ministry. God did. They did not appoint themselves as ministries, opportunists or missionaries, but God did. In First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And so Paul and Barnabas faithfully answered the call. Maybe God's faithfully calling somebody here today. You know, I, I'll never forget the day when God called two people from our church, these pews that go to a foreign field, Croatia. Brother Kevin and Christina Brown still there today doing a great work. Maybe he's calling somebody here. I don't know. Maybe he's calling you to special service. I don't know. But I guarantee you he's not called any of us just to sit, but occupy till he comes. Number two. Nothing happens without missions unless God, nothing happens with missions unless God places an undeniable amount of conviction in a person's heart and life. Our vision and our passion for missions will never leave the launch pad until we firmly believe and grasp the truth that it is truly the heartbeat of God. And so let me ask you this question today. What is your conviction about missions? What do we really believe about it? Do you feel that missions is something nice and sweet and and it's, it's just a great humanitarian service? Or do you feel that it's something that you cannot shake, you cannot dismiss, you cannot let it leave your heart? Maybe somebody in here is has not thought about missions in quite some time. And now we're going to be making a big deal about it, talking about it today and for the next four Sundays in August and two Sundays in September. Missions now is going to be on the front burner of our church. Maybe somebody's not thought about it in a long time or maybe you consider it to be a nice thing that Jesus was talking about. Maybe some of you said, well, missions is a great learning experience. I mean, it gives people an opportunity to travel the world and see things they never would have seen unless they did it. But I tell you this, that missions, when it comes to missions, whether it be here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the uttermost parts and regions beyond, missions is an extension of the heartbeat of God. And understand this, that the world will not be saved unless we get busy and start evangelizing it and tell people what Jesus did for us on the cross. When God convicts us about missions, we will never be content without being involved, no matter how old we are, no matter what it is that we do. Somebody might be here and saying today, Pastor, well, I'm too old to be involved in missions. That's for the younger generations. Well, let me ask you this. Are you too old to pray? Because everybody can pray. Are you too old to write letters of encouragement to missionaries? Maybe are you too old to send a care package to a foreign field? Let me encourage you to do something that perhaps you've never done before and involve yourself in missions in a way that will bring glory to God. Let me ask you to do something right here on the bulletin today. If you look on the back of it, you see the dates, August 6, 13, 20, and 27, and you see the names of the missionaries that we're going to be having. Perhaps maybe you'll take this particular bulletin and let me encourage you to put it on your refrigerator, put it on your kitchen table, and make it a priority to pray for these particular folks that are coming to spend time with us and to share Christ over these next few Sundays. I'm telling you that all of us can pray. And I'm not saying just pray some shallow prayer, God bless the missionaries on the foreign field. That's that's a prayer that we kind of get hooked on as a kid. But I'm asking you to pray with conviction and ask God to do specific things in their life, meet their needs. I was talking to our missionaries in Croatia this past week. I was talking to Brother Kevin, I believe it was on Thursday, talking to him on the telephone. He said, Preacher, pray for us that we can find a place to relocate uh, and uh, a, a town that has no church. It's a little place called Pula. He said, uh, Pray that we can find this place. We think we have one in sight, but pray that... This will work out for us. We need to move by a certain date in September he gave me. And, and so we prayed together on the telephone. You say, you called him all the way in Croatia? I do that. Send him an email. I text him. We, we need to, to be in touch and to be more concerned about them and their families and the fields where they serve. And, and I give God the praise for it. And I want you to look at number three here real quickly this morning. And that is the compassion. And I hope we all fully understand that none of us were born Christians. None of us. In fact, I've talked to people many times about their salvation experience. And one of the things that I'd love to do is, is to ask them, please share with me your salvation experience. And you will not believe how many times people tell me, well, I've, I've always been one. Well, the truth of the matter is this. Nobody has always been one. I've never always been one. I was born a sinner. I was born in this world in sin, separated from the love of God. But thanks be to God. Listen now, God commended his love, Romans 5 towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Somebody in your life, whether it was a family member, a close friend, a co-worker, somebody in your life had to take the time one day or through a season of your life, to tell you about Jesus. Perhaps it was a mother, a father, a Sunday school teacher, maybe the pastor, the preacher, maybe a visiting missionary, a caring friend, but somebody had to take the time one day to tell you about Christ and what he did. I believe that it's a reproach to the name of Jesus for somebody to be living in the United States of America and not know who Jesus is. I've told you this before, but several years ago, we were knocking on doors right here in the community. It was about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and we had several teams out evangelizing, and we got over here right off of Jank Road. One of our teams knocked on the door. A 12-year-old girl came to the door, and in a very short presentation of Christ, through the exchange of conversation, this child, living in the shadow of this church steeple, did not know who Jesus was. That's a crying shame. We need to be more engaged in this, more involved in this. Somebody in your life took the time to share Jesus with you. There are churches on every street corner, but I don't believe for one minute that all of them preach the truth. People in foreign lands, listen carefully, they don't have the same benefits that you and I do. We have access to the truth. That's why it's necessary for us to send people to them. Not all of us can go. Not all of us can get on a plane, get on a boat, and go over there, but its I believe it's the responsibility of the local New Testament church to get involved in this. Romans 10, verse 14 and 17, How shall they call on him whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've got to be compassionate right here in our hometown. We've got to be compassionate in our community. We've got to be compassionate around the world and get the gospel out. And then number four. We have to count the cost. I want you to see this scripture in Luke chapter 14, verse 28 through 30. The Bible says, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest, happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that beholdeth begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish it. And so keeping all of this in context today, I want you to know that our, our stewardship in missions is paramount. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to struggle financially as a missionary. In fact, Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, the word says this, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only... For even in Thessalonica you sent once again unto my necessity. I want to share something with you. And I have never shared this with you before in 50 years. Been here almost 50. That's a long time. I've never preached a message like this. This is, this is probably... there's no doubt in my mind it's the first time I ever shared this with you. And, And I have been praying all week that God would give me the right words. Because as long as I have been doing this, we just celebrated my 36th senior pastor anniversary here, and seven years before that, it's about 43 years right here. As long as I've been preaching, which is over 50 years, I've never preached a message like that. In fact, I've never shared with you right now what I'm going to share with you. And I have been praying all week, all week long. I said, God, I want you to give me the words because you know people. I know people. We've been working with people for a long time. I said, God, they'll, if, if, I, if I do this, what you have impressed upon my heart, there'll be somebody who takes it completely wrong. And God confirmed in my spirit, you're right. I said, God, if, if I do this, there'll be some people that don't get it at all. And God confirmed in my spirit. You're right. I felt like Moses at the burning bush. You got the wrong Moses here, man. You got the wrong guy. You remember Moses just kept giving God all these excuses why he's got the wrong Moses. I said, God, if I do this. There'll still be people that will not care. And he said to me in my spirit, you're right. I said, okay. I said, that's what you keep speaking to me. You're right. You're right. I said, it's so, okay. I said, so God, if you want me to say what I'm going to say right now, then I need you to give me Peace. Because you've said in your word that will keep him in perfect peace as mine estate on thee, and you have said in your word that the peace of God is so rich and pure that it passeth all understanding. I said now, since we're really not getting anywhere, I said. Uh, on my way to the office one day last week I said to my wife we were driving and I said God's laid something on my heart and I'm going to share this I've never shared it before and I was just waiting for her to say I wouldn't do that (laughs) because then I was going to take it as a sign from heaven But she looked over at me, and she said, it's the truth. I froze in time. I I, I honestly didn't expect that from her at all. And then I reckoned with the Lord. I said, there's no way out. Unless I just completely become a rebellious individual. And say, God, you, you you get somebody else to do it. And I couldn't do it. And so we get through these first three points. We, we can sail right on through that. But when it comes to the cost of missions... About two years ago, right after my one of my grandsons got saved, he wanted to get baptized really, ba- really bad. And Brian, right now, they're meeting in a school in Roseville, North Carolina, right outside of Raleigh. And they don't have a baptistry in schools, you know that. So there was this family in the church who had a big farm, and they had... A nice swimming pool in their yard, and they said, "Brian, okay, so we'll open up, we'll open up our house, and you you invite these people out to come, and we we got a nice big hot tub. We can we can baptize in the pool, we can baptize in the hot tub. Listen, all you need is water. So come on out." And I remember my grandson; he got in the pool, he got in the hot tub, and they were asking each candidate who were getting baptized to give a word of testimony. And with my little grandson, in fact, he's turning 13 in September, and we're going to honor him with what is called um, the beginning of manhood. And there's some people in Brian's church that are going to mentor him and give him some encouragement from turning 12 to 13. I think it's the neatest thing. But he got in that, and it was three, listen, this was Easter Sunday night There were 300 people who came out. Easter Sunday night. When everybody's at King's Dominion and Dollywood and all these other places, 300 people came out to see four people baptized. One one young man worked in the emergency room. He was a guy in charge of shocking people back to life when their heart played out on the operating table. He stood in the pool. And he said in front of this crowd, he said, man, I'm so thankful that somebody in this church reached out and shared Jesus with me. He was baptized. And then my son, Levi, got in the pool. And they said, Levi, they held the microphone up to him and said, would you like to share a word? he's, He's 10, 11, and this is what he said. He said, I want everybody to know that I am all in for Jesus. Brian baptized him. In 1976, Gail and I got married. This was crazy. Not that I married her. Don't anybody think. <laughs> But I graduated on a Wednesday night, 1976, from high school. She graduated on Thursday night. We had the wedding rehearsal on Friday, and we got married on Saturday. That's crazy. I wouldn't advise anybody in here to do that. But we just celebrated 47 years. We were 18 years old and we got married. And this is what we decided. We decided way back then that we were going to be all in for Jesus. All in. I worked at a grocery store, stocking shelves in the daytime, and we had just gotten married. And we, had, we decided we were going to be all in for Jesus. And our church had a little ministry for servicemen and women. It's called Servicemen for Christ. And like all churches, even back then, people were struggling trying to find workers in the church. And the pastor came to, to me and Gail and said, look, there's a military base, Fort Lee, not too far from the church, and we, we need somebody that will drive a van out on the base and pick these soldiers up and bring them to church and take them to dinner after the service and take them back to the base. And we did it. For the longest time, we drove those soldiers back and forth off the base, back and forth to church. Not too long after that, the grocery store I worked for, maybe you remember the old AMP grocery stores, That's the one I worked for. And, I mean, we got married in June and October. The store that I worked at closed down. My uncle, he was running a furniture store, and he gave me a part-time job there. But don't forget, we were all in for Jesus. 18 years old. Just got laid off. Instead of stocking groceries on the shelves, I was now loading furniture in and out of a truck. Three days a week. And, but but we were all in for Jesus. And then, just a couple of months later, that job played out, and my father was blessed enough to get me a job where he had, Worked all of his life, basically, and ended up retiring from. And when we first got married, we lived over on top of a grocery, uh, a drugstore. I lived in a little apartment right over a drugstore, and there was a lot of traffic in and out. Quite a mess. Um, then we moved out to a little farmhouse out in the country. My Sunday school teacher had a place for us to rent. It was an old 1922 farmhouse. It set off the ground about as high as these pews did. Had cracks in the floor about like that. So every time the wind blew, the wind would come up through the floor into the house where we were. We had those old potbelly oil old stoves. You could see the little little flame in there. And it was. We froze to death in the winter time, and then the summertime there were snakes everywhere. And Gail, Gail said, "I mean, I drive home." I'm telling you the gospel truth. I drive home from work in the pitch dark. We had several big oak trees out there and roots were all over the ground. But but I can remember driving home in the summertime and going out there the next morning and, and find a dead snake under my tire. And Gail said this, I've been out here in the cold and I've been out here in the heat, but I'm not raising no baby out here in With this snake environment, you get me out of here. So we went, but this is no no joke. We had to, it was so cold in that house. We had to take a pot. I'd walk down to the pond and break ice, fill it up with water, take it back to the house, get it boiling on the stove and dump it down the drains to keep the drain pipes from freezing. But we were all in for Jesus. i 'm The only thing we didn 't have back then was a covered wagon i mean we 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 were all in for jesus and th- and then we we moved and we we didn't we didn't have nothing but but back in those days, we could have lived together in a phone booth. I think I still could. <laughs> The first thing we did when we got married, we didn't have money. But I, I wanted to get her something nice. So Sears and Roebuck had a big sale on color TVs. So I went and told her, I said, look, I, I can't pay for this, but <clears throat> I want you to have it. When I'm gone, I, I don't want you to be staring at four walls. And and what we did was we set our checkbook down on the table and we began to talk about it. And we decided this because we were all in for Jesus. We were not going to do anything in our relationship that was going to take one penny out of our tithe. Not one. Not one penny. We were not going to make any decisions. We were not going to do anything that took a dime out of it. Because my mother didn't raise a fool. She taught me all her life. My dad taught me all his life. If I cut somebody's grass for a dollar, a dime of it belonged to God. And she told me, she said, we're not, we're not reneging on God. We're not stealing from God. We're, I said, I know. We'll work it out. If I got to work two jobs, whatever it is, want to get you this TV. So we did. And we never, we never took a, a dime from God and I say all of that that leads me to this and I jotted some things down on this envelope here because I met with the treasurer last week and she said preacher and we were talking about her passing away and she said you know a lot of our senior people give to missions and we're seeing a lot of them cross the river And if our younger folks don't start picking up some of this slack, we're going to be in trouble. In fact, last week or a couple of days before, I had a preacher send me this letter, and I get letters from preachers all the time. He said, he said Pastor, he said, I want you to know that I'm, I'm having to stop supporting one of the missionaries on the field. Immediately, and went on to say a few other things and I got to thinking about that. This is from a church in New York, pastor there I got to think thinking about this, and i this is where I, this is where I really started wrestling with God and talking to Gail and praying all week. I've been praying all morning about this. But, but this is what I'm... Because I lead by example. I don't lead by... It's not about do what I say, but follow as, as, I, as I make myself an example to you. But Gail and I, when we give to the Lord, we give on every item of this envelope. There are four blanks on there. We give to everything. In fact, and, and I, thought, I thought for sure she would say, don't do that. She didn't. And God laid it on my heart. I'm standing here a day before you and telling you this. That, and there'll be somebody that takes this wrong. There'll be somebody in here that don't get it. And there'll be some people in here that don't care. I, believe me, I've, I've walked in tears all week long about saying what I'm going to say right now. Because it's not braggadocious. It's not anything other but throwing myself out here to you. Gail and I, our our mission giving is $80 a week. We put $300 every Sunday in this envelope that goes through that push pay every week. And there's some in here that don't give a dime. And I get that. But let me tell you this. I don't regret one nickel I have ever given to God. I've given him my life. I've given him my all. So what I want to ask you to do is this. And and I wrote this down. Our senior people are giving missions. we got to count the cost here. If our mission giving doesn't start going up, then I'm going to have to start writing letters like this. So, listen, this is where people blow it. You don't cut your tithe to give the mission. In fact, if you do that, you're going to miss the blessing. You say, well, I I don't have it. I can't give it. Here's the thing. I really don't either. But Gail and I at 18 years old, we decided a long time ago that we're all in for Jesus. And as David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. I tell you this, I've never begged for bread. And here's the thing. Here's what I want to ask you to do. You're not giving. I'm not asking you to cut your tie. What good would that do? The Bible says faith is the substance of things hold for the evidence of things not seen. Faith promise is a, is a walk of faith. You trust God for it. So here's what I want to ask you to do. If you're not given to mission, if you're a senior and given to missions, which the treasurer told me that a handful of you still do, but if our senior people keep dying, the Lord Terry's is coming, and we don't have folks coming up behind them. I'm going to have to write letters like this. I don't want to do that. So, if you're not, first of all, if you're not tithing not in the name of Jesus, read Malachi chapter 3. And you, you want to know why things are not happening in your life? Well, read, read the whole chapter. Not just verse 10, but read the whole chapter. If you're not giving anything to missions, anything whatsoever, I want to challenge you here today to at least above your tithes give at least ten dollars a week. Start there at least. And if you are ready to giving what you're doing, only heaven, only heaven can bless you. So you saying preacher man that's some deep stuff hey i know what it's like but i'm telling you this my children have always had shoes on their feet and clothes on their back they've always had food in their stomach Have they always had everything they ever wanted when they was growing up? No. And let me tell you something. I laid my head on a pillow and cried rivers of tears because of it. But the consolation was that I was all in for Jesus. All in. So, On the eve of our mission emphasis, you say, Preacher, man, you ain't never said nothing like this. I know it. I get it. I get it. I can't wait till the service is over with, and I can't wait to get in my car, and I can't wait to get out of here. (laughs) I get it. But I also know this. I know the difference between right and wrong. And this is what the Word says in James. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him in his sin. So if you listen, our senior people cannot continue to carry the weight of this church, whether it be tithes and or missions, or whether it be building fund or bus ministry. We give to everything. I I just want to ask some people to get all in for Jesus. Get all in for Jesus. And you you'll not be forsaken. Well how about that for word for today? You listen to Pastor Tony Kahoot. For more information, visit our website at bufordroadbaptistchurch.com.